Hey everybody, right before the show, wanted to let you know we have an update to our Patreon. A brand new monthly movie podcast is available now for $10 and up patrons at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. You want to hear me and Bob talk all about Mask of the Phantasm? The best Batman movie of all time? You can hear all about that in our long, almost three hours long podcast, patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody, welcome to Talking Simpsons, the podcast that's full of senseless CBS-style violence. I'm your host, chalk-faced goon Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons, who is here with me today. Henry Gilbert, and I think we can do without the crack pipe. <laughs> and who do we have on the line? I'm Dan Reichert, and I'm ready to steal some Ferraris. Excellent, and today's <laughs> episode is Treehouse of Horror 8. Good morning, ma'am. Good afternoon, sir. It passed noon while I was speaking, so that was technically accurate. <laughs> He's crazy. Today's episode aired on October 26, 1997, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real-world history. <gasps> oh my god! Happy Halloween, Bobby! The U.S. Mint releases a heavily redesigned $50 bill. The Deftones Around the Fur arrives in record stores, and the voice acting legend Don Messick passes away at Aww. 71. The voice of Scooby-Doo himself. Scooby-Doo, Muttley, Bam Bam, Boo Boo, Papa Smurf, Hampton and a million others. Oh uh, yeah, and Hamp- yeah, he he died as Tiny Toons was still airing. Oh no, Tiny Toons was way. It was past. dead. It was yeah. Animaniacs time for all of us in America. <laughs> but uh, on the $50 bill, the design one is that the one with all the presidents and jimmy carter's passed out on the couch <laughs> that's only for this secret thousand dollar okay got it uh, now it was uh when they made they made grant bigger and off center yeah they had like a giant 50 on the back and then a little blue 50 in the corner and they made the back of it a lot bigger too it was all these things to prevent uh counterfeiting which it's gone through two more redesigns since then but this was the biggest one mm-hmm. like it was uh, it was like night and day from the previous one. I like the more exciting, uh, like blanker, emptier spaces <laughs> on uh, on fi- dollar bills than the classic overly designed ones. It's all Bitcoin for me. <laughs> now, was this the uh, kind of test run for the redesign? Because were they doing the fifty first, and then they eventually got around to other ones, right? Like I'm trying to picture what money looks like, and I'm totally blanking for some reason. <laughs> I think it was the fifty before the hundred. I think I. I feel like the new hundred just started showing up when I started working in retail, which would have been 2001. So yeah, I think it was. I think that's around when the two, uh, the new hundred showed up, and then the twenty came a little after that. I want them to put more two dollar bills in the circulation just to screw with people's heads. <laughs> what is this? Uh, yes, poor Don Messick. Uh, yeah. he's, he's just seventy one. Not not that old for a yeah, voice actor. I think Frank Welker is older than that now, and he's oh, done, wow. uh, even more than Don Messick at this point. He's been Scooby Doo for a while. He took over for poor old Don Messick, just like he did is, for a. Uh, is there an active uh, Scooby Doo cartoon right now? I'm kind of out of the loop with Scooby Doo, but mm-hmm. I figured you guys would know. If not, there's at least those WWE crossover yes, weird yeah, weird of course. Ups. <laughs> 
There's yeah. at least one new Scooby Doo movie a year. Like they, well, that they they just cast. Well, not just, but recently they recast Velma with Kate Micucci. Like so, oh. they're still being pretty active with uh, perfect with Velma. That. It is. It really is. Now, like, Henry, have you seen the Scooby Doo goes to WrestleMania? Oh, certainly. And I've seen the um, the drag race one they did too the oh. sequel <laughs> the undertaker have you seen the penguins one though that's the big question i've only seen clips from that God, the undertaker oh, okay. better be in that scooby-doo wwe thing is it yeah he's got to be a major player in that i mm. think it's the miz is a big part of it and maybe kane i don't remember undertaker undertaker definitely analog and the surfs up movie uh, yeah. I remember Vince builds a WWE city in the Scooby-Doo one, and that's a big part of it. I should rewatch it. It's, it's WrestleMania season. I should watch it. <laughs> I believe Triple H and Big Show are in the main event in that one. And, and yeah, it's WWE city. As I recall, a friend joked that, uh, oh, no, this is in uh, Friends of the Show OSW Review. They joked that in the end of that movie, Scooby-Doo wins the WWE championship from Triple H without beating Triple H. And they're like, ah, <laughs> oh, Triple H not putting somebody over. That's how it is. <laughs> Dom Messick did not I live to it. see those days, unfortunately. <laughs> But this episode, so this is technically the first episode of the Mike Scully seasons to air, but not the first one produced. So the next episode in the airing order is The Cartridge Family, and that is his first production episode. So we'll talk all about Mike Scully then in that episode, in case you're wondering. We usually do an (laughs) overview of the showrunner or a new writer when they pop up, so we'll do that Mm. next time. So yeah, sorry folks who want the Mike Scully biography. that You're going to have to wait until next week, everybody. More of an expose on the crime. I'm just kidding. We like Mike Scully so much. Yes. Go back to our interview. It's on the Patreon from last year. Actually, uh, December of 2017. Oh, and also in ha- housekeeping before we get into the Treehouse 8. Yes, I forgot last week in our episode with Alex Navarro that Five-ish Finkel was, our, was the guest voice. He had passed away, and I did not play the death jingle. So I will now play the death jingle belatedly for Five-ish Finkel real quick here. <laughs> death stalks you at every turn. Ah, there it is. Death. Okay, there. We've now properly was, <laughs> celebrated Five-ish Finkel. <laughs> that was Souls at Peace. <laughs> uh, but okay, yes. Yeah, so it, it is Treehouse of Horror and our guest, Dan. Well, actually, yeah, why don't we let Dan introduce himself to new listeners? Yes, Dan. Who are you? Uh, my name is Dan Reichert. I work for a video game website called GiantBomb.com. Uh, what we do is we do a lot of podcasts and videos about old games, new games, all that stuff. I think that's ostensibly what we do. Uh, our podcast, I think, is usually about 40% about games and 60%, uh, you know, whatever we go off on. But yeah, it's it's basically video game stuff. And outside of that, yeah, that's 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 the main thing right now. I, I've got some books out there and everything, but haven't put one out in, in a couple years. I do some independent wrestling stuff here on the East Coast, but Giant Bomb is the big one for sure. Uh, you guys just did, I complimented Alex about this, but you guys just did uh, one out just a month ago, published all your Game of the Year stuff for 2018. All yeah. really great. I especially enjoyed the uh, Ma- return of Mario Party Party. <laughs> it was uh, as soon as I saw at E3 that they were making a new one, and like instantly I knew it's like, okay, I have to text Drew Scanlon. I have to lock this in now. I know this game isn't out for another like six <laughs> months, but I'm going to make this happen come hell or high water. And uh, sure enough, we did it. And it was another four hours of hell. I got physically injured, uh, uh, miming, whacking off at one point during a mini game. Uh, <laughs> but it was all worth it. I think it'd be a tragedy if we did not mention All Systems Goku before you stop your introduction. Here. Oh, yes. Yeah. Ah, yes. That is a podcast we do uh, through Giant Bomb. It's me and Jeff Gersman. And uh, we are not noted 
anime experts, or we weren't prior to 2018, uh, but if you remember that Dragon Ball Z fighting game came out, and we thought it seemed really cool, and we jumped into Dragon Ball Z Kai and started the podcast where we're watching all of it. Uh, we're actually at the Majin Buu saga right now. It feels like it's been going on for 40 episodes, but we are still pushing through. Uh, we are absolutely going to finish Dragon Ball Z, and then we will see what we discuss from there. But mm. uh, if you look up All Systems Goku on all the major podcast apps, you should be able to find mm. us. It's a whole lot of fun. You are deep into Boo Town, and it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a. Uh, I mean, the show kind of peaks itself for me. It's quite, it's quite a slog, the Boo arc. <laughs> it is. It's definitely got its moments. Uh, I really like Mister Satan and the dog uh, living with Majin Boo. Uh, that has been a major highlight for me. <laughs> but yeah, there are long stretches of uh, not a whole lot going on. Yeah, I know. When we last had you on for King Size Homer, you were just getting into Dragon Ball and like what? Uh, I mean, briefly, how how have things changed for you on your views on just anime in general? general since becoming a Dragon Ball expert. Way, way more open-minded, which is just something I'm trying to do kind of across the board, and anime is just one of those things. And uh, Oh, actually, that, that kind of goes right into one other quick plug I can do. Uh, I do a podcast with my wife called Panning the Stream where we watch a bunch of stuff on streaming services on like Hulu and Netflix, and then we discuss it. And uh, there's a lot of anime on there. So we've watched uh, Case Closed. We've done, I don't know if the Castlevania Netflix series counts as anime, but we discussed that. Close um, enough. But yeah, so it, I, I've done some stuff outside of uh, nothing quite as extensive as the Dragon Ball Z stuff I've done, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely excited once I'm done with DBZ to just kind of see what else is out there. Like, is this Evangelion? Am I saying that right? Uh, uh, yeah. Close enough. Oh boy, you're. Uh, <laughs> you should. You. I would love to hear you and Jeff talk about Evangelion uh, again. That thing hitting Netflix is going to cause so many think pieces to explode. Oh yeah, oh, oh, too boy. many think pieces. No. I think we have uh, decided we are going to do that for panning the stream. So uh, we will be, uh, I don't know what I'm stepping into. I know there are robots or mechs involved. I don't really know anything beyond that. Uh, I heard it gets real weird by the end, and that is the extent of my knowledge of that show. That's the best way to get into Ava, just no knowing nothing, mm -hmm. going in with no advanced knowledge. <laughs> I got that covered. <laughs> oh, well, and Dan, how do you feel about Halloween episodes of The Simpsons like this one? You know, I always had very, very fond memories of these because, for one, it always kind of signified that uh, this, the season was starting. Because, you know, it, it was typically around October that you would start seeing. Like, sometimes, I, I you guys would certainly know, weren't there times where it was the first episode of the season? A few times, yeah. 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 And I think next okay. year is the last year for a while that it actually happens before Halloween. <laughs> okay, yeah. I do remember it was usually when that like TV season was starting. And I distinctly remember going to my friend John's house in, um, I want to say it was 95, because we wanted to watch the debut of Mad TV. Uh, and <laughs> I, was, uh, I was always a huge SNL fan, and I was also a huge Mad Magazine fan. And so I had very high hopes for Mad TV. Uh, they they fell very quickly. I was never never actually got into it, but I remember watching the debut of it. It must have been like mid October '95, uh, and I saw a commercial for that Treehouse of Horror. And I've always been very into video games, and I saw this like 3D rendered Homer, mm. and I was like, "Oh my god, they're doing like a, a 3D virtual Homer thing or Homer in the real world." And uh, that was always one of my favorites because of that. I was probably 11 years old, so you know the exact right age for that. But yeah, I, I like the little bite-sized stories. I like that they always had these three things, and I didn't always know the references, or you know, I hadn't always seen 2001: A Space Odyssey or The Shining at the time. But then I would always see these movies as I got older, and I'd be like, "Oh, okay, I saw what they were doing there, and I, I need to go back." 
back and watch that Simpsons episode now. So yeah, just really fond memories overall for these. This is a good one. I think this is a pretty good one. It's one of the more violent ones, at least the beginning. It is. But, uh, and this first scene is, was pitched by uh, former showrunner David Merkin when he was still consulting with the show. Mm. And it's very of the time. Oh, and there's a couple interesting behind the scenes notes about this too, that uh, there is a new writer alert. Right. Uh, though if we're going out, uh, if we're going by production order, it's really weird. So he was working, he was a writer for season eight, but his season eight production episode was Lisa the Simpson, which won't air for like six months yeah. in Simpsons time. So he also, the only other Simpsons script he wrote was the third segment of this. So Ned Goldrider is the name. Ned Goldrider, Was he a yes. freelancer or something? It seemed like that was his his role. Like, I think freelance. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he was staff. Yeah. But he's, as far as I could tell from checking his wiki and IMDb page, he's not one of the Harvard mafias. So that's probably why he's not. <laughs> was not allowed in. You must be this smart to ride. <laughs> uh, and after writing these two episodes of Simpsons, well, before it, he came from late night TV. He had worked on Conan, for mm. example. Okay. Then he would go on to work on shows such as Dilbert and uh, Grounded for Life. Dilbert cartoon is way better than Dilbert comic, <laughs> I gotta say. Well, only one of them had Stone Cold Steve Austin. So. That's true. Perfect match. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, speaking of that, uh, weird, I can turn something into a wrestling thing. Um, this uh, opening segment here with the, the Fox sensor... It just so reminded me of this whole like late 90s kind of like anti-censorship, like South Park and Attitude Era of wrestling. You know, yeah. they were doing stuff in wrestling where it's like, oh, we got this right censor group that's very much like, hey, fuck the censors. And it, it very much uh, struck me as a, a product of that time. I wanted to talk about this. This is very much ripped from the headlines because on January 1st of 97, the official TV content guidelines were put into effect in which mm. every TV show was rated. This was meant to act in tandem with the V-chip, which was now going to be a mandatory thing in TV so parents could say okay everything under TV PG you, you can watch but nothing above it so it was a way for parents to do across the board you know blocking of certain kinds of content it wasn't government uh, censorship or anything like that but I think that's what people feared about it like, I mean it empowered parents uh, just to ter- flip a switch if they were going to but it wasn't that the government would have it always be on yeah. though I mean if you you know you have a 1984 fear of your television you figure like well one day the government's just going to flip it on and they'll get to control it all through that V-chip. And if you remember the South Park movie, one of the major plot catalysts was the V-chip. It gave mm. Cartman magic powers because he swore and he made electricity appear and stuff. Yes. Yeah, so... <laughs> Yes, the V-chip really stoked all of our fears for some reason in 1997, 1998. Dan mentioned the RTC, the Right to Censor Group in WWF at the time. They were a direct mockery of the Parents Television Council, the Uh, PTC, (laughs) who also did not like The Simpsons. The Simpsons was on their list, along with Monday Night Raw and SmackDown, as uh, enemies of good, uh, as destroying children through television, which... It's funny, too, because one of the lead spokespeople for the PTC was Steve Allen, who had appeared both in The Simpsons and at WrestleManias. And on The Critic. (laughs) And on The Critic, Oh, wow. I feel like this was a this came on the heels maybe like a couple years after all of the like Mortal Kombat hysteria with like you know Tipper Gore and what was that really at a fever pitch in like maybe 93 94 and then TV kind of took up that mantle a few years later. Yeah, I think they they all work in tandem and it, it's actually this is pretty similar to the ESRB2 of just like TV channels choosing to self 
self-censor or self-mandated guidelines just like the ESRB is and not a government yeah. one. It's, it's something kids need to learn is that like technically the ESRB is not enforced in any way. There's no, you're not breaking a law by playing GTA if you're under 13. And I think just the internet, the very widespread use of the internet has broken any notion of being able to keep things from children's eyes. It's yes. never going to happen again. <laughs> never again. Yep. Uh, oh, and also behind the scenes, this is the only Halloween episode directed by Mark Kirkland. Wow. Which uh, if you guys haven't, you should listen to our Mark Kirkland interview on the Patreon. Ooh. He has directed more episodes than anybody of The Simpsons, and he still works on the show. He works from season two to season 30, and yet he had only done one treehouse ever, and it's this one. Wow. It's a lot of work, so I don't blame him for only doing one. And as Kirkland says on the commentary, this was the last Simpsons that Brad Bird consulted on before he left wow. for Iron Giant. Wow. And he took a lot of great uh, Simpsons artists with them. So if you wonder, like, hey, did the, arc, did the animation get a little worse after this? Like, there there was a little brain drain when uh, Brad Bird left, as well as taking with him, like, wow. Jeff Lynch and and others. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so, you know, we talked all around this opening gag, but let's give it a listen. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. Mm, I think we can do without the crack pipe. <laughs> oh, hi. As the Fox censor, it's my job to protect you from reality. And thanks to my prudent editing, tonight's special Halloween show has been rated TVG. This means there will be no raunchy NBC-style sex or senseless CBS-style violence. So sit back and enjoy a night of worry-free... <laughs> <laughs> What the fudge? Oh, for Pete's sake! Jiminy Christmas! Ah! Darn it! So the real censors had a lot to say about that scene. Yeah, I, I Less can't blood. Imagine. He doesn't bleed until the very end. I remembered it as bloodier. Yeah, me too. It's uh, like the, a pirate sword that he gets stabbed with, too. A, a real cutlass. Yes, yeah, that's, that's another rule. I wonder if it falls under the repeatable axe thing because yeah. they had apparently a dagger beforehand so i think they're like oh a kid can imitate that with a knife around the house and so if you have like this ridiculous looking cutlass that i guess nobody would own then they're like well a kid can't pretend to do that he doesn't own that sword and david merkin is very much about attacking institutions through the simpsons yes and it's yeah. a very merkin-y joke where the guy laughs a lot at a joke and he goes no <laughs> that voice is definitely like operating at a 90 percent ken brockman level yeah, yeah. We were talking before the show. I think Harry Shearer is doing a little bit of Lauren Michaels. I think you're right. Having, he worked oh. on SNL, and he yeah. was probably told no a lot. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, Harry Shearer. Uh, Harry Shearer in in interviews has a lot of targets, but uh, he is especially not a fan of Lauren Michaels. He thought he thinks he's uh, a bit overblown. I think. He, now, he feels was he on SNL? I, I, for some reason, when I think of Harry Shearer's tenure on SNL, uh, in my head, it was always during those like five years that Lauren was gone in the late eighties. Mm. Was did he overlap with Lauren a bit? I think he was the last year or two because yeah. he, he talks about how he was kind of kept to the side. He's like, well, he's the movie. He makes the short films. He's not working with you guys. And he said like, th this was uh, from his WTF interview. If folks want to look it up. Uh, he talks about how he didn't really pal around with the original, uh, not ready for primetime players because he felt that Lauren 
purposely separated him from them so that uh, Lauren could keep uh, his control over them. That's, that's I believe, how Her- Shiri felt. SNL is a weird cult that happens to make a TV show every week. <laughs> The TV show is secondary to it. I I get why guys like Dave Merkin hate network censors because they do just see them as like, they tell them they can't do a joke and you're a professional joke teller. You don't want to be told that you can't tell a joke. That That is frustrating. I get that. I Wasn't Oakley telling us that a lot of the censorship is because people might want to advertise and you don't want to make jokes about certain things? Oh, yeah. Censors step in for that stuff more often than for content reasons. (laughs) I I was always a big fan of how open they would be about Fox, though, on The Simpsons, because it seemed like it was just open season on the Fox network. Yeah, they they never really seem to pull their punches with Fox. And they even, I mean, Fox kind of got into it. They will, uh, later in the Scully years, the Mike Scully years, will have Rupert Murdoch playing himself and calling himself a billionaire tyrant i mean they made fox they have special permission to make fun of fox that's true yeah but also i think uh you know the censors too is how they josh uh now bill talked about how with the gay episode homer's phobia that because they don't take network notes when the few ways that fox can get control over the simpsons and their content is through censors yes like, that's right so that's that's i think too another way the censors the network censors can be extra frustrating for for creative people and simpsons because that's how that's the way they're exercising their control over the simpsons as best they can uh, and after a quick little opening gag with the family getting uh, electrocuted <laughs> uh, it's it's a cute gag uh, the, then we get uh, one thing I always notice oh. in these couch gags for the Halloween shows they always have to find a way to kill Maggie oh yeah it's kind of yeah. weird if you think about it every time you watch one of these they kill a baby in the open <laughs> hmm well, that's a good point they gotta find a new way to get the censor didn't stop that yeah it's like we've seen her hanging we've seen her as a skeleton when the uh, and the TV rating joke is also funny because if you you don't see this when you're watching on the DVDs but when they aired on TV there was the TV yeah. rating right there and even though it says it goes up to 6 this was is rated tv pg ah not if tv 14 <laughs> and uh again uh not to bring this back to wrestling one more time oh, no. but uh <laughs> but no this is a big thing in wwe right now is it like the though i think the a big way parental guide ratings uh affect the content you see on tv is that like by being classified as your rating that you then get certain ads or certain ad deals like the big controversial thing with wwe has been for the last decade they've been tv pg and that means they can't to do certain things they used to do that everybody loved when uh women got you know cut open and beat up (laughs) but uh but they do it because they want to work with mattel or coca-cola or all these brands that won't work with something that's above tvpg okay i'm more a fan of video game ratings because i love comic mischief (laughs) i want to know if it's in the game i'm playing what about use of tobacco that's my favorite i like alcohol reference (laughs) oh yes yes just one uh, but so we get into the first of the segments here. I I think I, I agree with Bob. It's the strongest of the episode. And it's written by Mike Scully, the showrunner. Mike Scully has more written by credits uh, in his seasons than yeah. most showrunners have. This one comes from him being a kid and loving the 70s classic uh, B-movie, The Omega Man, starring Charlton Heston, uh, which was one of many adaptations of I Am Legend. Have we seen this before? Uh, oh, have I seen the movie? Yeah, The Omega yeah, Man. Yeah, it's all right. It's great. It's, yeah. I watched it about 10 years ago for the first time, and I had no idea it was actually kind of about civil rights. Oh. It's about like uh, like an interracial relationship and yes. you know breaking the status quo. There's all this 60s stuff wrapped into this 1971. 
one movie, but it's great. I've never seen the um, the Will Smith I Am Legend. I heard it's not that great. It's well, there's two different cuts of it, and one cut's definitely better than the other. It's it's good. I mean, yeah. Will Smith. Will Smith can hold a movie. He's interesting enough that you're like, I care about this guy, and I like watching him. But the first one was called Last Man on Earth, and that's I think with Vincent Price. Yeah, that's right. So is uh, I'm going to show my ignorance here. Uh, it was I Am Legend, like a really old book that uh, spawned a lot of adaptations. It's more of a novella. So Richard Matheson was a great sci-fi horror writer of the time. He wrote a lot of TV too, like The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. And I Am Legend is one of his novellas. It's usually in a comp with other things he wrote if you want to buy it but it's a short read it's like 100 pages i think maybe a little more but it's a great one of the first early zombie stories and actually i believe night of the living dead is loosely inspired or based on it or just ripped it off i think that's (laughs) what uh, roger corman even said it was like one of the seminal modern zombie stories definitely worth checking out just about every zombie story you see in america is somehow influenced by its times and that's definitely omega man there i mean part of it is showing you know um Moses himself kissing a black woman was more shocking to America in the early 70s than it was for him to like shoot people in the face yeah. in the movie. And I mean, despite how the end of his life uh, was, Charlton Heston was a huge civil rights advocate mm-hmm. when it was not super popular to be that in a white yeah. person in Hollywood. So it's, uh, props it, to him yeah. for that. And if you like Charlton Heston holding a bunch of guns, you get that in the movie too. You get, <laughs> you get, it, you get it from all angles. peak of his future. <laughs> uh, and it was one of Scully's favorite films too i mean it's also fun and just like there's it it has a real campness to it too especially with how all the uh, the mutants are played too in their cloaks all their designs their cloaky designs as homer calls them cloaky Uh, they're they're all copied over from this too uh so the episode though begins with the unbelievable idea that a politician wouldn't apologize for being racist (laughs) and that's how an heroic hippo became a deputy stupid hippo this just in, tensions continue to mount between Springfield and France over Mayor Quimby's now famous frog's legs joke. The French president has threatened swift and massive retaliation if he doesn't receive an immediate apology. Stupid frog. We now go live to City Hall for Mayor Quimby's response. I stand by my ethnic slur. Do your worst, you filthy, pretentious savages. Filthy, pretentious savages. When I heard that, like him on the steps, I feel like nowadays that would just be like a tweet from a politician, like an all caps, I stand by my ethnic sweater. Yes. <laughs> Hashtag mega. Uh, but yes, uh, there was reference to French atomic bombing and I believe the Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie show or something like that. Yes, there there was a joke about the bomb testing that is very, uh, France is one of a few countries that has nuclear weapons and they were doing atomic testings a lot later than most countries were. Yes, and then doing uh, it took like a global ban by NATO to get them to stop. Yeah, ninety five and ninety six were the last years they were testing, and I believe their last test was on January twenty seventh, nineteen ninety six. So this is kind of also ripped from the headlines. And <laughs> I was looking this up, uh, just information about it. Apparently, they are now uh, facing charges of crimes against humanity in the Whoa. International Criminal Court because they bombed uh, French Polynesia a lot as fun tests, and I'm mm-hmm. sure that didn't hurt anybody. So who <laughs> no. knows what's going to happen to France? But I imagine nothing because they're powerful people and uh they usually don't <laughs> suffer punishments those uh you know those nuclear tests were helpful for godzilla movies because they could yeah. be like well america america's nuclear tests were so far in the past how can we say that a nuclear bomb woke up godzilla now and they're like well the, okay the french test that'll yeah. do it but yeah they've stopped it's been a good 20 plus years so we're <laughs> safe from the french <laughs> well i mean just because they're not testing it doesn't mean they still 
don't have them. But uh, and uh, I looked up the frogs thing. I mean, it's it's mostly just related to frog legs. It's like they it started with English people making fun of the French for eating frog legs because that was uh, disgusting okay. to them. That was oh, I was confused by that because like I didn't know what the origin of that was. And then in the animation, they drew all of the French people with like these giant things underneath their chins, and I was like, <laughs> what is that a thing? I've never heard that comparison, but. I guess it's just the legs thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it all grew from there. And Americans call them frogs without even knowing the the ethnic slur. I didn't really hear about it until the sort of anti-French blowback from the uh, beginning of the first, uh, the, the, the most recent war in the Middle East, right? That That's when it happened, the sort of like anti-French. Was that, well, was that like after 9-11? Freedom Prize stuff. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. after 9-11. The I whole couldn't Freedom remember. Prize, all that crap, yeah. Well, they foolishly didn't want to go to the very successful Iraq invasion we had planned. And what a bunch of dicks they were. Uh, yeah but i think this kind of pri i mean the the simpsons regretted the not this joke but the cheese eating surrender monkeys monkeys joke they didn't like that that got reused by uh angry political uh, right-leaning political folks against france because they're like in that case and in this case the joke is about people being racist to France and that being bad, not that it's good to be mean to French yeah, people. They kind of ignored the context that he was saying it. <laughs> but so as as this uh, bomb is coming to town, Homer is taking a look at some possible bomb shelters. Now this baby is called the Withstandinator. It can take a six megaton blast, no more, no less. Ooh. Blankets. Radio? Oh, a Gary Larson calendar. I don't get it. 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 We will show the stupid Americans who look like the frog, eh? <laughs> Riley. M. So I, I really want to know why Homer didn't say a far side calendar. Yeah. yeah. It feels like a legal thing. I like <laughs> I know who Gary Larson was. Most people back then, if you said the far side, they'd know. If you said Gary Larson, maybe, probably not. Maybe. Yeah. Well- I, I loved this joke because I, I was always a big Farside fan, even as a kid. I always had the 365-day calendars and all that. And that was the running joke, even in other humor, like in Mad and Cracked magazine. It was always like, oh, the Farside never makes sense. And I was like, I never – it was always this one-panel thing. It was always very absurd and everything. But I it wasn't like abstract, I thought. Because of its one-panel nature, I think everybody had those uh, daily calendars. <laughs> oh, and they yeah. probably still make them too. Unfortunately, now there are maybe like 43 Farside ripoffs in its absence. It's been gone for uh, over 20 yeah. years. So now all of those things have surpassed the Farside in terms of uh, length. <laughs> well, as Farside page day calendars, it's kind of perfect because he made, you know, he in the grand scheme of lengths of comic strips, Farside didn't last that long. It's true. It had about a good decade, but that gives you thousands of uh, Farside comics and you can just cycle through them on those uh, page a day calendars. And I, I used to buy the uh, the gallery books because they had, you know, tons of those, you know, big, wide uh, comic books uh, filled with Farside stuff. And the address was always, I remember it always said Kansas City. I can't remember if it was on the liner or on the back mm-hmm. of the book. And for some reason, as a child, I thought that meant that Gary Larson lived in Kansas City, which <laughs> honestly, I have no idea if he did. But I used to write to that address being like, oh, Mr. Larson, I'm a huge fan. 
in. Like, you know, I would try to get an autograph or something. And I think I got like press kits back in the mail, oh. but it certainly was not like Gary Larson's home address. Like my young brain thought was. <laughs> so the comic ran from January 1st, 1980 to January 1st, 1995. So this is um, more than two years after it ended. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it lasts forever. Those far side jokes work great i i was a, as as a dorky kid i loved me some far side i uh one of my top fashion choices in middle school were <laughs> t-shirts free featuring a full far side comic on it oh man that's so great <laughs> uh i've seen in play a lot on the internet an old far side joke from like 1990 an old far side comic in which parents are looking at their gamer son uh you know and thinking about his future and in their thought bubble is a want ad for gamers like <laughs> well, need somebody to rescue the princess <laughs> things like that but that came true now people get paid for playing video games on streams and stuff so take that gary dad uh, sent me yeah i think my dad sent me that thing as yeah. a joke like picture was like oh well huh i guess they hadn't met you because i found a way to make that happen <laughs> <laughs> my uh my mom's favorite far side joke was because she she had this one like in multi she clipped it out of the newspaper and then when she could like get up I think she had a poster of it too, but it was the uh, the cat F U D one. Uh, it's called Cat uh, Fud, but Cat Food, and it's the dog trying to trick the cat into going into the uh, the dryer, I believe. And the dog's <laughs> going like, "Come on, come oh, on!" Oh yeah, I can I can see that in my head. Actually, all my cool teachers in school would often put a Far Side comic on the test. And very oh. often it was the school for the gifted where the kid is pushing on the pool door. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh classic. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Uh there there is they tried to make a far side animated series that actually aired against a uh, on the same night as a Treehouse of Horror for Simpsons, and it just it didn't work in animation. I think it was just too weird. They're really good though and super dark, but I, I think like Middle America was not ready for a far side cartoon. <laughs> Simpsons will be right back. Hope you all are enjoying this early Halloween or on-time Halloween, depending on when you listen to this. And we thank you very much for listening, and we especially thank Dan Reichert for being our guest this week. He's such a cool dude. You should definitely be following him on Twitter, checking out all the cool stuff he does. All Systems Goku especially is one of my favorite podcasts. I love hearing him and Jeff Gersman talk all about their new impressions on classic Dragon Ball anime. And if you're enjoying this episode of Talking Simpsons, there's so many cool ways to support us, but most importantly, you should check us out at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. The subscribers there help me and Bob do this full time as our real ass jobs. And we thank all of you supporters at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. But what else do you give when you join up in the talking Simpsons network? So many things. Not only will you get episodes a week ahead of time and ad free, you could be listening to cartridge family right now. You'll also get the same for our sister podcast. What a cartoon in case you didn't know me and Bob, do another weekly podcast called What a Cartoon, where we go through a different animated series each week in the same Talking Simpsons style. You can hear that podcast a week ahead of time and ad-free as well. Not to mention if you support us at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons for $5 a month, you'll get access to all of our classic Simpsons interviews with many people who had worked on the show. Mike Reese, Mike Scully, Josh Weinstein, Bill Oakley, Dan Graney, David Silverman, Mark Kirkland, and a million others, and so many others, you can hear their real-life stories 
of working on The Simpsons from the very beginning. These are all super experts and give tons of new insight into this classic series. Lastly, at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons, if you sign up at the $10 plus level, you'll get access to a ton of video content me and Bob did, including me and him doing video commentary over the deleted scenes for Simpsons seasons five, six, seven, and eight. But you also get our current monthly What a Cartoon Movie podcast where me and Bob go through a different animated film that includes films like Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, Kiki's Delivery Service, Akira, and in February, a goofy movie. It's an eclectic mix of films and me and Bob go deep, deep, deep into the creation of those movies. And you can only hear that if you're at the $10 plus level on patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. So be sure to check all those out. Also, this week's podcast is brought to you by the Talking Simpsons t-shirts. In case you didn't know, this podcast has our own official t-shirts, both designed by previous guests, friend of the show, and amazing artist Nina Matsumoto. You can get a beautiful sky blue shirt that has a logo for Talking Simpsons in the style of Ion Springfield, or you can get our Halloween-themed t-shirt based on our beloved death jingle that features a cute little Grim Reaper on it in black. Check all of those out at tiny.cc slash talking shirts or just visit our shirt page at shirtsickle.com. It's like popsicle, but with shirt replacing the word pop. Easiest to go to tiny.cc slash talking shirt to check out both of them. They're $19.99. They ship somewhat internationally, and they're really good. I have one of each, and they fit great. So please, check them out. Tiny.cc slash talking shirt. Yeah, the, so the depiction of the French here, obviously very insulting to them. The uh, the frog, the bullfrog chin that pops out, which, uh, you know, that's that's quite a comical idea. And uh, the, the way they draw the French president is interesting because he's not, he doesn't look like any French president. So Jacques Chirac was the uh, dude at the time, right? Yes, yeah. He had he had been president for two years at this point. And when I looked at, like, Mitterrand and the guy before him, they all kind of look the same. This uh, Now I'm making a, a, <laughs> a statement about the French. So all here. French presidents look the same, Henry. <laughs> These three did. They were all, like, skinny, balding, older men who just all, I mean, it's, they, they all did look a little similar, at least in their Wikipedia pictures, which means they always look that way. But, uh, yeah, no, this guy is drawn more like how you'd cast a French president in a movie, kind of like how when you'd watch an old cartoon or a current day cartoon, then they wouldn't draw whoever the current president is because it would hurt it in reruns. So they just draw the vague, like, eh, president guy. He's got a nice little French mustache. It works. <laughs> and he holds a cigarette the French yeah. way through through the three fingers. And uh, his little like uh, a hand motion to his mouth. That's that's cute too. Um, so the uh, the bomb is coming to Springfield. Just so you know, it's 1997. We have an Intel inside joke, 
which were all the rage then. I think it's just a reference for the sake of it being a reference because, I mean, we had the Intel Inside uh, commercials and Pentiums were all the rage. Everyone knew what clock speed their computer was. I don't know what mine is anymore, but it's like, I got a Pentium 150. I got a Pentium <laughs> 200. Now it's weren't, just... weren't they just really aggressive with the ads back then? I seem to remember like all the guys in the like hazmat suits, or I'm sure that's not what they're called, but all the like different colored things and tons of Super Bowl commercials and stuff. Oh, yeah. No, they, yeah. they were heavily selling it as like this amazing like almost alien piece of technology that would increase the power of your machine like yeah now these days i mean i just i have a computer i'm like yeah. does this work or i also just settle for a mac or i'm just like well i know this mac's gonna work this was the era in which computers were finally affordable for middle america and this is the explosion of dell and mm. gateway so pentiums are all the talk of the town and weird al wrote a song about it <laughs> oh that's right it's all about the pentiums yeah, baby that's right. <laughs> It's such a specific thing because, like, I, I can't imagine a processor getting advertised like during the Super Bowl or in any mainstream way. Thing for people that are building their own computers, you know? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a real holdover from the time. Well, I mean, Intel did a great job of like if you bought a new tower for your home PC setup, it would say Intel inside on it in that same style. Like it it advertised itself very well. We had a quick uh, Kangakotos gag just to make sure they're in here. Get those guys in there, yeah. <laughs> I like seeing Rigel Four. It's the first time we've ever oh, seen yeah. their home planet. We do see their home planet. I forgot about that. It's a first. <laughs> and that the uh, the home planet aliens. Think they're crazy. Like Kangakotos <laughs> are a joke to them, which I like that a lot. Was it a couple years before this that they did the uh, Kangakotos Treehouse of Horror with the? Well, it must have been with the uh, the Dole and uh, Clinton '96 election, right? Right, previous year. Yeah, just a year ago. And uh, yeah, they right. the, this was them kind of getting back into their cameo position for Halloween episodes. I think on the commentary, Cohen says he worked hard to make sure. This wasn't cut when they were cutting stuff. Uh, and so as the as the uh, cigar-shaped object is launched, it uh, it arrives in Springfield, and we get, I think, a new catchphrase for comic book guy here. <laughs> I'll bet I get blamed for this. But Aquaman, you cannot marry a woman without gills. You're from two different worlds. <laughs> oh, I've wasted my life. So has Aquaman now, is he now cool? I think so. They've been trying so hard to make him cool, but he was the joke character for so long. Mm-hmm. But the project to make Aquaman cool, I think, is complete. <laughs> the movie, believe it or not, globally, total, has made more money than any other DC film. Aquaman has made more money Whoa. than a, a single Batman movie, which is pretty bad. Wait, even more than like the Nolan trilogy? Even more, yeah. It's, Boy. <laughs> it's, it's insane, but it did. Not, not the entire Nolan trilogy, but... The highest grossing right. trilogy film did not make more than Aquaman. It really was the global thing. Like it did good in America, but it did great in the overseas market, which is more important than ever these they days. They love water over there. <laughs> I mean, it's a gorgeous movie to look at. It's also too fucking long, and it's like oh, like every oh, superhero movie. Yep, yeah, <laughs> overstuffed with plot. Uh, but by the and by the end of it, you're kind of confused. Like, did we need five of five of these villains in this movie? And did it need to be Indiana Jones for 20 minutes in here? I, I don't think so. Uh, that's my review of Aquaman. But also, though, if I may be extra nitpicky over the comic book guy joke here, Aquaman doesn't have gills. Oh. He doesn't. And he's married lots of women who don't have gills either. Does he say Aquaman he, wait, has, has gills? Has he been divorced numerous times then? 
Um, no, but in different universes, he's had different wives. I thought. Oh, was, isn't there a whole thing in DC where there's like 95 different universes or something crazy? I mean, it's now an infinite number. Yeah. It would one time was 52, but uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bob. You're. Saying. I was gonna say. Um, so in the clip, he's saying the woman didn't have gills, but he's not saying Aquaman has gills. But he should marry a woman with gills who can be underwater with him. I suppose so. Yeah, but so would, he's not. He's not totally wrong. When he says there are two different worlds, that would seem to imply that he thinks Aquaman has gills. Mm, I don't know, Henry. <laughs> Uh, I, don't, I just don't know. <laughs> uh, Aquaman got married way before the other Justice Leaguers. Like Superman got married, but Aquaman got married like two twenty years before Superman did, and he had a kid, and that kid got murdered. Oh man, by uh, by Black Manta. It was dark stuff. Uh, <laughs> they, that's how long they've been trying to make Aquaman cool, but it t- all it took was hiring Jason Momoa. That's that's what did it. I I mean, what uh, comic book guy is saying there before he gets exploded is basically a podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're doing it now. <laughs> and, the, and the zoom, the animation on the zoom to I've Wasted My Life is really good. Yeah, there's a lot of really good camera moves in this episode. Mm-hmm. Then we go back to Homer getting out of, uh, he is the only survivor because he was uh, eating free cans of uh, food in the a, bunker. A can of prime rib. <laughs> and that Herman dies like he's the guy who is, has all this preparedness, but he couldn't, it, uh, what a great irony that even Herman couldn't save himself as a as a survivalist. It's important to point out this is a neutron bomb, which was a quote-unquote safer kind of nuclear bomb, uh, where it's like it won't cause as much collateral damage. It's still a weapon from hell, but... So that's why the city is I, intact. I, yes. I, I like the idea that the, uh, the shelter could do no more and no less than a very specific megaton bomb. <laughs> he chose the right one. Yeah, he was... Homer, Homer is a very lucky guy. Or is he unlucky to be the last man on Earth? Maybe a little friendly punching will move your ass. (laughs) (laughs) Still got it. (laughs) Jeez. What's with all the dust? Oh my god. Everyone's gone! (laughs) Little Bart. Little Lisa. (laughs) Little Marge. And the rest. <laughs> oh, I've lost everything. I can't go on. No, no, no. I can't just wallow in sadness. It's time to laugh again. <laughs> I'm the last man alive. And I can do everything I've always wanted. Oh, God, that joke of all the family members playing baseball on his memories, it is so good. If you say season nine is bad, I will show you that joke, because every time (laughs) I laugh, I I know what's going to happen, too. Every part of it is perfect. And also the ghost of the TV being in the rest with, like, the baby and the pets. Yeah, just floating in a void. (laughs) Maggie's on the same level as the TV. And the cat. Uh, Yeah. Uh, No, the the Marge whiffing sound. Uh, That's that's line of the episode. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Oh. The joke. It's one of those jokes where I get excited knowing it's coming, <laughs> and that's that should be the anti-humor. Like I know what's going to happen. I know the punchline, but it's funny every time. Uh, and I'm getting kind of dizzy. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and also the and the rest is a reference to the classic yes. Gilligan's Island theme song. Before too. I believe Bob Denver lobbied for those actors to be mentioned in that's the credits. They're they're characters. Yeah, I mean because the way the song goes, like and the rest. 
versus and Professor the professor and Mary. It's a little clumsy the second time, but, but they need it. They need it. It's a difference of like two seconds. Yeah, just like yeah, it was really embarrassing to uh, the professor and Marianne. I mean, also behind the scenes on Gilligan's Island, they all got screwed on residuals. All those reruns, they didn't get a dime yeah. off of it. So that's oh, wow. sad. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's where is, is it, this? Is this a period in the show where Homer? Like, I felt like there was a turn around this point. You know, I know we're past the uh, the Skinner episode, the infamous one, but there's a point where Homer starts becoming almost a parody of himself because he was always stupid and dim-witted, but he was never he was never like the type that would just walk up and punch Milhouse's dad <laughs> right in the face because he was stuck behind him in traffic or something. So is this just because this is a Treehouse episode and it's yeah. not canon, or are they starting to make Homer more of a ridiculous character at this point? Definitely in Scully's seasons, he's a little more quick to violence and anger, mm-hmm. but I also think they, he is heightened a lot for this episode because it's a Halloween episode. Halloween episodes okay. let them break that rule more but i also think this is the the door opening more to as he's known in the fan community jerk ass homer i mean well it's also he's ob- obscenely unobservant then that's the joke but that he he's surrounded by skeletons and it takes him like hours yeah. to realize it i mean i'm not a huge i mean i think we'll get to it when we get to the uh, joy of sec i'm not a huge fan of the jerk ass narrative uh, anymore mm. after doing this podcast because as we saw in the merkin years he was jerk ass like to a huge extent mm-hmm. then bill and o- bill locally and Josh Weinstein softened him a lot. Now he's back up to where he was. So I feel like there was a, there was like a two year period where he was much more softer and much more cuddlier and goofier. And now he's back to where Merkin had him, I think. And the rest also is a, a part of the running gag that Homer kind of hates his children, yeah. or the, especially Maggie. Or forgets Maggie's name a lot. Yeah, she does not exist to him, or barely does. And I like when he says, like, uh, no, I'm going to laugh again, that he just does a, his girly tee Yeah. <laughs> that it's time to laugh again a clip was used a lot in a local commercial for The Simpsons. Uh, so I heard it a billion times. Wow. Yeah. With him surrounded by corpses? In the they show. just used that clip, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, there's a great headline gag of a uh, hippo promoted to detective. All right. Like that. just that opening drawing of Wiggum with that hippo is really funny. <laughs> I like that just as a one-off drawing. Was this the thing? Did they allude to this at the beginning with the, the Fox sensor? Oh, no, I don't think so. The uh, I, Allude to what? I seem to remember at the very beginning before, or maybe it wasn't the Fox sensor, I felt like there was some allusion to the hippo at the very oh. beginning. In Kent Brockman's report on Quimby, that was the that's first it. thing that we see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it like briefly preceded it just to get you into like a nice. This was when there was the runner of haha, which means death to us all. Anyway, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, that's always fun to cut in. And then we we get to see this is one of the best parts of the Will Smith movie I Am Legend, which is the first hour of the movie is, is just him and a dog, and he's doing in the nighttime it's dangerous but in the daytime he's doing all of the cool stuff he's like well i want to play golf off of an aircraft carrier i want to do all these things that as the last man alive i can only i could do this is a parody of a scene in the Omega Man where Charlton Heston is watching a movie alone in a theater, and it's it's Woodstock, the documentary from oh, 1970. Oh, okay. But he's not watching, uh, I'm guessing, Black Sheep or whatever. <laughs> or like the sub-Black Sheep movie. Yeah. Like the thing they'd make after Black Sheep. It was pretty pretty accurate for the Farley Spade era of the time, of them just getting stung by bees and running in circles. <laughs> Why did you leave Farley in charge of the bees? That's, uh... Uh, poor Chris Farley only had a month and a half left Oof. on this planet. 
it's Oof. Ah. Good it's thing sad. they made that joke in time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, boy, that's that's sad. Well, I mean, the thing, yeah, the critic had the same joke about like the sweaty guy. It was yeah. just the idea that uh, Chris Farley, I think, is one of the funniest guys who ever was on SNL. But he, at the time, his comedy was just seen as like just so broad and stupid, kind of. And I mean, it didn't help that like Black Sheep's not a good movie. Yeah. But. <laughs> He's he was a funny guy. It's you, sad. Everyone should read the Chris Farley show, the book about him, written by his brother. And there's lots of great interviews about it. And a lot of it is people like Bob Odenkirk saying, "Why are you making this guy do the fat man fall down funny scenes? He's way better than that. He's way more talented than that." But he was mad he was being misused so much. Uh, Dan, if you haven't read that book, I would definitely, as an SNL fan, I think you'd really like it. Yeah. One other, yeah, you know what? Specifically with the uh, Farley stories, uh, one of my favorite books I've read a couple times is uh, "Live from New York," and it's all the kind of like oral history of SNL and. And hearing the stories from like Odenkirk rooming with him and, and how hilarious he was, but also how much kind of a train wreck he was. I, I had no idea this other book by his brother existed. I would love to read that. Oh, it's so good. It's a quick read, too. And also, so Bob Odenkirk, quick facts about him you might not know. He created the motivational speaker Matt Foley character, and he played him originally. And also, <laughs> he is one of four credited writers on Lunch Lady Land. Wow. So I wonder if he gets oh, wow. Lunch Lady Land bucks. <laughs> I hope so. He deserves it. The... It took four people to write that song. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I also just feel, I do feel bad for Farley that the way they drew Farley in this is like he's, he's so huge. Yeah. Like though, I mean, that is kind of what he was looking like at the end. Well, yeah. at the time, I remember Dirty Work probably came out right around this time and he is oh. very big and very sweaty and does not seem healthy in that movie. No, he is not. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like his final SNL appearance he looks so bad and it's just sad and yeah. they're making jokes about like well you really cleaned up huh it's like once oh, you read that yeah. book once you read that book you'll know they should not let him they should not have let him on TV he was he was on drugs he was messed up he was drunk he should have been taken somewhere and not put in front of a camera. Isn't the cold open? Isn't it Tim Meadows trying to explain to Lauren that like, oh, no, it's going to be fine, man. It's fine. I think so. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. so. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Chris Farley. We love you. Yes. Uh, so then we get Homer's nude church dance after that, which uh, that was another censor note. That yeah, he couldn't dance on the altar. <laughs> but apparently it's not too profane if he dances in the aisles uh, to war. What is it good for? I just love his just he's marching in place. Nude. Yeah, it's not not much of a dance, Homer. <laughs> uh, and this is, though, when he is confronted by the freaks, as they choose to be called. Hey, what happened to the tunes? Hey, what the hell's going on? Where'd you get those cloaks? Silence! You're talking too loud. Not everyone died in the blast, Homer. Some of us were merely horribly mutated. (laughs) You're mutants? Uh, we don't like the word mutants, Homer. We prefer freaks (laughs) or monsters. We're creating a new perfect society in which the mistakes of the past will be eliminated. You know, you must die. You want me? Come and get me! Get up! They chose a fun group to be the mutants, I have to say. They mm-hmm. chose all the right characters. Yeah, all, all I mean, seeing Ned, Skinner... Mo. Monty Burns, yeah. Mo, yeah, all of them hanging out. Hey, is, 
Yeah, Hibbert too. It's great. the The mutants are a fun collective, or sorry, freaks, freaks. The, uh, they're they're a fun collective of guys. And just Homer's, I do love Homer. the the line. Where did you get those cloaks? Such a funny line. <laughs> I overlooked that line. That is very funny. Also, that's it feels like a Dan Castellaneta ad lib or just improv when he's singing along to War. He says, "Say it again, okay." Like he says, okay, yeah. like he's like, you told me to say it again. I'm about to say it, it again. It sounds like an ad lib. And also, silence, you're talking too loud. Reminds me of the robot elders <laughs> from Futurama. Yeah. Anyone in a cloak screaming silence. <laughs> They're very similar, yeah. And, silence. And uh, when Homer runs away from them, too, he, he him getting in the, in the, him knocking around all these corpses, but then he sees the coffin. He's like, ah, the coffin. The coffin. <laughs> And uh, he does murder Johnny and Edgar Winter, who apparently survived the blast. Yeah, well, they were outside of town and then came to town. I guess so. But yes, they do. Like chalk face, chalk face goons. goons. Yes, yeah. But in case you don't know, they are. I don't know if you call it suffering albinism, but they are uh, albinos. Is that is that that's the word to say? say Yes. Let me know if that's wrong. Uh, But yeah, the the Winter brothers and the Edgar Winter group. They are a really awesome band. Like, they had some really great songs in the 70s. I mean, to let you know this is Scully time, it's time for jokes about 70s bands. Like, he loves 70s rock quite a lot. I mean, uh, only Mike Scully would have NRBQ be guests. So many appearances, and I still don't know who they are (laughs) outside of Mike Scully liking them a lot. I mean, they're taking care of business. That's all you need. That's all they do. Uh, but the Edgar Winters group is really, I mean, Free Ride, I think, is their biggest hit. Come on and take a free ride. Did they do Frankenstein, too? That's their greatest that song. Otto sings, or at least sings the riffs, too. Yeah. Do, 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 do. If you can look it up, there's a great live performance of them doing Frankenstein on uh, this beat British music show and it's just amazing to see Edgar Winter just runs from musical instrument to musical instrument just playing it all live he's like now I'm on the keyboard now to pick up the saxophone now the guitar awesome he's really showing off his instrumentation does Frankenstein show up at any point nah no 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 sale no sale (laughs) I also like that all the druids uh, just jumped on Rob Zombie's Dragula car from Twisted Metal 4 ah yeah Yeah, you're right we're entering the reign of Dragula across (laughs) the pop charts we're posting matrix at this point or no we might be pre-matrix we but are post dragula this I, this episode isn't really about burning all the witches <laughs> it's oh true God. yes is there oh, any ditch digging dragula. though hmm, i don't think so this one that's in the that's in the second uh halloween special where homer well homer's a grave digger yeah. not a ditch digger that's true <laughs> what is a grave but a ditch <laughs> a deeper ditch a ditch without a, a body <laughs> uh so homer races home says go to hell cloaky and then uh when he gets home the house is fine as we'd find out later thanks to uh all the lead paint uh and then the reveal of the family here is kind of weird they're just like standing there yeah it's, it's i mean it's for it's for a, an upcoming reveal but Do they all have to be hiding shotguns is that why yeah they're staged yeah. so weirdly yeah it's, i thought it's so it's very strange here's the finale to the home mega man save it last that better not be the mutants. Yeah. <laughs> ah! Homie, is that you? <gasps> March, kids, you're alive! All the layers of lead paint in this house made it the perfect bomb shelter. Oh, come here. Oh. Kind of brings a tear to your eye socket. <laughs> in the midst of all the killing and skin eating, somehow we forgot the love. 
Ain't that always the way you get nuts with the skin eating? <laughs> you know, I don't see any reason why freaks and norms can't get along. Yes, yeah, why not? Yeah. We can all work together to, to build a utopian society free of violence, hate, and prejudice. That sounds beautiful, Ned. And let me just say, my family and I share your vision for a better now! Friends with mutants, right. Now that's the march I'm married. So, who wants to steal some Ferraris? Oh, even Lisa's into it. <laughs> I mean, they've, I think they are their, they've had a mental break since yeah. the, uh, the nuclear apocalypse. I, I do. That, that's another thing I like about these treehouse ones is seeing those different sides of characters that you would never see, like, Marge pull out a shotgun. Or even, like, later in the episode, there's a part where Marge belches. And it just seems so not a Marge <laughs> thing to do, but in treehouse episodes, it seems fine. That is true. <laughs> and how, Juan, you seeing Lisa hold a shotgun is, is pretty rare. I guess uh, <laughs> when push comes to shove, Marge and Lisa are willing to kill <laughs> uh, well i mean the end of the world does a lot to a lot of people like you never know what you're gonna decide there i uh, i also i i love the gag of home like that better not be the mutants <laughs> yeah <laughs> answering <laughs> the door <laughs> and uh they they bring it up on the commentary but it is a really funny underrated joke that they they use the term freaks and norms as if they're like they just introduce like well yeah your norms we're freaks this is what we call ourselves it's just accepted and also how wiggum doesn't even like react to his eyeball <laughs> falling out are they just all blind i, I don't know <laughs> they can but, drive but it's great designs like the pink line around their eyes is really yeah good. they're really like, cool designs for the freaks they're not sores and stuff all over their face <laughs> and the way all their bodies like are just when they get blasted with shotguns they do fall into an entertaining pile of <laughs> corpses too so are we on fly versus fly now yes so fly versus fly obviously the title parody of spy versus spy classic mad magazine segment even got the font and it's also a parody of both the 50s the fly and the jeff goldblum the fly from the 80s so it's got a mix of those two elements in it, and it this is totally one of those things where it's like i i've seen this episode a million times but i've never seen the actual fly movie and i bet if i wound up watching it i would be like oh okay i've seen a million references to this <laughs> oh yeah if you saw the the gold bloom fly Ooh, yeah. everything would everything would fall into place they're both sure. good don't watch the newer one while you're eating no oh i've heard a lot of body horror stuff yeah, yeah. it's pretty it's pretty much body horror the movie i mean it's uh it's cronenberg it's just it's how yeah. it is because in the old fly the guy turns into a small fly like creature in the mm. newer fly by newer i mean like 37 years ago <laughs> he turns into a man-sized fly creature mm -hmm. and, and all the he, horrible stuff that that entails he slowly loses pieces of his body which he just like keeps because he's like well this is, i still got to keep this it could get put back on the science of it with a teleporter is is a little more modern and by modern again yeah. 37 years ago modern fly as opposed to the design of bart with of a human head on a fly is much more classic the fly but he goes out the same way i want to go out murdered by gina davis <laughs> <laughs> oh this is written by david x cohen future yeah. developer of futurama which could be why it starts with the whole frank set piece he is frank like, professor frank yeah like he's just professor and frank. farnsworth yeah they're, they're they're the same guy i mean when he says the opening line I played at the start here of like uh, good eve good morning good afternoon yeah and his that's a Futurama joke it is the nerdiest fucking joke that I definitely made as a kid of like well technically yeah. I am correct 
He's uh, he's being like swindled at this uh, this mad scientist uh, garage sale too. <laughs> I mean, he's undervaluing his things for sure. That is really true. And there's one shot you might find odd of Lisa looking at a brown object on a solid brown background. It is the Devil's Tuning Fork, a classic impossible object or optical illusion. Uh, so you notice she doesn't move it. It's on the same color as the object. So the background is brown and the object is brown because it can't work any other way. <laughs> so, is that an MC Escher thing or is that just um, a really famous one? Because I've seen that before. I don't know if it's credited to anybody, but it's one of the more famous optical illusions. Mm, right. Okay, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure where it comes into. It's a good, it, that is, actually, yeah, when you say Futurama, this whole thing is a Futurama episode. Yeah, I this mean, could have been Fry. The way Homer. Fry and a fly. The way Homer treats that machine is how Fry treated all science. Yeah. <laughs> As a toilet. And yeah, and with a, a real disregard for his life and well-being as Homer has here. Hey, but yes, Homer Homer is uh, as stupid as he seems sometimes. He's actually a pretty good negotiator. Hmm. I take it from that little impressed noise that you are interested in purchasing that matter transporter, sir. Um... Two bucks, and <laughs> it only transports matter. Uh, well, uh, I'll give you 35 cents. Sold, but I must warn you, this device carries a frighteningly high risk of catastrophic... I said I'll take it. Great acting on Dan mm. with his bad haggling. <laughs> it only transports matter. <laughs> And uh, impressed noise, I feel like that had to be the stage, stage direction. direction yeah. yeah, I think so. Uh, the the lesser known the lesser known equivalent of annoyed grunt, which, as we all know, is doe. That's that's what annoyed grunt is. That's like the Doki Doki Panic trivia of the Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> and so Homer installs the uh, the teleporter in the house. It's funny he thinks it makes everything easier when we're, uh, if you deconstruct it more the ability him having to move those teleporters it, around yeah. is very must be very hard for like a permanent installation I think it would be worth it but it seems like he is moving it to like fulfill like six different tasks <laughs> that would make it a huge pain in the ass <laughs> which yeah why not it it would seem harder to t- to lug that up the stairs than walk up the stairs uh, but but Homer enjoying his teleporter is uh, is a real funny series of jokes. This mountain of stairs used to make bedtime a grueling chore, <laughs> but not anymore, baby. <laughs> Good night, losers. <laughs> Man, how do I ever live without this thing? He reaches in the fridge, gets the cat ear medicine can. <laughs> oh, oh. oh man. Good. <laughs> oh, that joke would not work without that reading. Dan does such a great job of misleading you into thinking he's disgusted. There, Sorry, there are Dan. a couple of things I really love here. Um, for, one of my favorite Homer things is when he is supremely confident and cocky about something while he doesn't know he looks like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And so his ass being literally on fire while he's like, oh, suckers, that's great. But my favorite joke in probably this entire treehouse is the, for some reason, the cat ear medicine can <laughs> being the exact same size and sitting right next to all the beers is so supremely stupid. I think that makes it my favorite gag of this whole one. <laughs> and just the the name on it too, like the idea of Homer, <laughs> the idea of Homer drinking anything disgusting without looking, that's a yeah, funny idea. The, the joke is set up in such an obvious way, like you know he's going to take that on accident, but the fun <laughs> twist is he likes it. And the specifics of cat ear medicine of 
of yeah. all things to drink, that's pretty great. Oh, too. that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe it's because he drank all that crab juice that just shows he doesn't really have yeah. taste buds. I think he's just, or he has a very specific palate. Was that uh, was the New York one this season? Yeah, it was just yeah. a couple episodes ago. Right, right. I remember liking that one a lot back then. Uh, what do you think now as a native New Yorker, Dan? Oh, yes. As I died in a wool New Yorker, I would have to watch it again for inaccuracies now that I know everything about the city after two years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, also the, the Zomer's ultimate plan is that he's going to pee through the teleporter too. <laughs> the little song he sings to himself is like, I love Love a Dan song, and uh, and for the setup of this joke, though, so the teleporter is at the toilet. So for this next bit where he accidentally punches Lisa, he's punching her while she's on the toilet. Yeah, Keep that in mind too. He's also punching his daughter in the face. Yes, yeah. And I like how she says, "Someone punched me in the face." When it clearly must have been a giant adult man, like yeah. hairy hand hitting her. It's clearly him. And that Homer's the only person who would use it too. And uh, and had Marge not stopped him, would he when he peed? Would he have peed on Lisa when she oh was on God. the toilet? Oh, I don't yeah. want to know about this. What's even happening on this podcast? <laughs> I'm just saying this. This adds more uh, more dimensions to this, but uh, as Homer it makes the joke more vulgar, you're right. I'm sorry. As Homer cavalierly uh, is using his teleporter, he lets Bart know it's not for everybody. Hey, Dad, can I use a transporter sometime, please? I swear I'll be careful. Sorry, but this is a highly sophisticated doohacky. Mm-hmm. If you don't use it responsibly, kablamo! Wow, someone just punched me in the face. <laughs> Your mother. <laughs> I love the word kablamo, and I like how he references this later, our little kablamo talk. <laughs> little kablamo talk. Uh, God, the sound on that punch in the face, I'm like, ow, that sounds like a pretty bad punch to an eight-year-old girl. And a very <laughs> indignant Lisa, somebody just punched me in the face. <laughs> Uh, there's so many great lines in this one, but Bart doesn't listen. He decides to work on some stuff. First, he thinks he's going to teleport the cat to a bank and then accidentally combines the cat and the dog. So we get a cat dog. Lo- uh, like- a year before the actual cat wow, dog. Yeah. I, I figured it was first. Wow. Nope. Damn. <laughs> Take that, Nickelodeon. You ripped off the Simpsons. Though they never did a... Well, actually, I can't say this for sure, but on a cat dog, I don't think they did a double butt. That could have been a side character. We don't know. (laughs) I feel so bad. We love Jim Cummings on this podcast. I feel bad for him that he got stuck in a cat dog. It was him and uh, Tom Kenny, right? Before SpongeBob. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Bart first sees how it creates a cat dog, and then... He then sees a fly and so clearly has never seen any of the fly films. He just thinks it's going to be a great idea. Yeah. And if I, I love the part of his imagination that thinks for some reason it's not just going to be like, okay, obviously it's not going to be the fly head on his body like he imagines, but he also imagines it's going to be like, he's going to be jacked. Like he's suddenly <laughs> super muscular. I don't the, know why the mixing strength, with the fly DNA would get you there. The strength of a fly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so he has this fantasy where he's just flying through the sky as his fly boy and saying, look, out of the way it's super fly and then the fantasy ends it feels like something's missing because there is i kept accessing the deleted scenes on this episode on accident when i was pausing to take notes so after he says look out of the way it's super fly or whatever he says so he sees skinner and skinner is being tormented by bullies and he lifts up skinner to take him away from the bullies and skinner's like thank you and then he drops skinner into a volcano and that's (laughs) the end of that fantasy Uh. so that's one of two deleted scenes i accessed on accident just by pausing the episode i like that (laughs) Uh, it ends pretty fast, though. It, it's great. Bart's line of like, I'd be stupid not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> 
So he goes in there, and uh, when he comes out, he and the fly are transformed. What's going on down there? What's all this mist? No. <laughs> oh. Bart, are you in there? Have you forgotten our little Kablamo talk? <laughs> Mom, stop! According to this, it says Bart mixed up his DNA with the flies. I think that's Bart. I think she's right. Pants are a dead giveaway. He may be a horrible freak, but he's still my son. I'm sure we'll grow to accept him in time. <laughs> so then Lenny says, as if. Don't even go there, sister. That's got to be another ad lib. I love that yeah. ad-lib. Well, Lenny oh, said it. God. Homer's being nice and crediting his friend for yeah. the joke. Like, no, it wasn't me. It was Lenny. He said it. That is also, a, doesn't sound anything like Lenny at all. No, <laughs> no. Would say. It's like Homer remembering a bad sitcom or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that's kind of like Hank Azaria is doing like a Tasmanian devil voice for the fly oh, in yeah, this. yeah, yeah. And I love that Marge joke. What's with all this mist? I love because that. Because it's too. just like in the fly remake. You're like, yeah, why is all this mist being created when he <laughs> teleports things? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's, I, it's very cool looking, but why? And it's a great Marge line questioning the mist, yeah. too. <laughs> Uh, you know, Hank Azaria's voice for the fly head, it, it reminds me a little of uh, the Doodle Bob character, like, I mean, blinging. it just oh, okay. is like, this is, and the, like, the sound he makes when he tries to fly is so funny, too. And Homer's like, the pants are a dead giveaway. Give away. <laughs> uh, and it really only takes them one hour to accept uh, Fly Bart now, and they'll just feed him all the sugar he wants, which probably isn't that different from how Bart normally eats. He is as we know, Crustios have more sugar than sugar. Well, later Homer's trying to steal some of that sugar. That's true, yeah. Right out of the bag. <laughs> is that the, uh, have we already had the pile of sugar in the backyard? Oh, oh yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Uh, and then we cut to whatever Bart's doing, and we get a, uh, I have seen a million help me gags in my time watching television. And that's the ending to the original Fly, mm. in which the main character is killed. That's the end of the movie? Yes. And you're waiting that long for that? Jeez, it takes well, forever. actually, he's not killed by the spider. Before the spider can kill him, another character crushes both of them with a rock. It's like, ah. this, this should not be on this planet. Let's just destroy ah. all of this. Okay. But in Bart's case, it's just him doing a classic Bart prank. And I the, love the spider shaking all of its fists. <laughs> the, mm. oh, so good. Like, I don't think a spider can move that way, yeah. but just the <laughs> The impotent, An angry spider could. <laughs> the impotent rage of that spider is so great. <laughs> but when they go back to Bart going through the house, there's a great first-person flying scene. Really cool looking, too. Yeah, you know, it's it's probably because we just did Akira for a podcast. Oh, yeah, but, I was thinking of that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was thinking of Akira so much there. I was like, oh, everything's moving on screen. This is really hard, and here's the Simpsons doing it for the Halloween special. Only they're doing it for about seven seconds, and Akira's doing it for like... Like a um, solid minute at yeah. a time. <laughs> Sometimes. So, so as Bart approaches, fly, Bart Fly approaches Fly Bart, this scene is so great of the battle between them because it could never possibly occur to Homer or Marge that this is not a normal fly. <laughs> Mom, Dad, I'm the real Bart. That's just some 
is all a mistake. If you'll just go through the transporter with me again, we'll have you back eating garbage in no time. Get him, boy! Smash that fly! Mush him up good! Nice work, son. Oh, that tray of the trail yeah. of spit as he kisses his fly. Head. They linger on it too. <laughs> and mush him up good is a great line. Mush him too. Up good. They're just so proud of him. Like they should also think it's weird that a fly headed Bart wants to squish a fly. Like that that alone is uh is odd to see. Uh they they're just rooting for him though. It's the one t- Homer is never supportive of Bart except now that he's a fly. <laughs> It's actually pretty rare he kisses him on the forehead, but in well, fly Bart, form. Bart became a food monster. You can identify with that. Ah, you're right. Uh, the real Bart is able to contact Lisa. I'm, it's a clever use of the saxophone that that's how she's able to hear him. I yeah, like, I like it. And uh, there's a weird line, too, of Lisa saying, like, I let him borrow my toothbrush. It's like, he doesn't have teeth. This yeah. Is, it's disgusting. <laughs> What's he using this for? It's time. They really speed fast to the uh, the finale here of Lisa battling the fly. Nobody likes a tattletale, honey. Yeah. They're like this every rainy day. Get my filthy hands off my sister! No, don't eat me. You don't know where I've been. You just made a big mistake, fly boy. Well, we were lucky this time, <laughs> but it's all too clear that some things in this universe aren't meant to be trifled with. Homer, what are you doing? Something I should have done a long time ago. I'll teach you to mess with my machine! <laughs> I'm gonna chop you good! That cost me 35 cents! <laughs> Just making it worse! I promise I won't hurt you! So yes, amplifying Homer's rage. In the Halloween episode. You mentioned uh, how they kind of speed the finale here. And that reminds me that even in a standard 21, 22 minute episode of The Simpsons, it always impressed me that it would have a full beginning, middle and end self-contained in that period of time with frequently like B and C stories going on. And then you take these treehouse episodes and yes, they have to speed along. But the fact that they have to like establish all this, get their jokes in and get out three times in like a little over 20 minutes is nuts to me. And they also kill a minute with that intro with the sensor too. Yeah. 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 When they're having to make all these cuts, I, I'm kind of surprised they kept the censor thing. Though I mean, it's it's very funny and a yeah. great opening gag that also is very much of the time. And Lisa knocks the fly into the portal with the microwave door. It's very cute. It's cute, yeah. yeah. And it's a great, uh, it's, it's actually a really good action movie moment of you think Bart is dead because he just got eaten. But by being inside of the fly, they are now back together again, which can let them reset in a new teleportation. It's clever. It's uh, it's really smart, and and how they set up Homer's teleporter in the background in the kitchen too. Right, right. That's right. Yeah, and uh, it's also you know Homer obviously is being uh, murderous with his <laughs> accent, uh, Bart, but Marge I'll is so blasé too yeah. about it that it also she's she's just as humorously guilty of child abuse here. <laughs> yeah, but I mean he's all bark no bite. Yeah, yeah when it well, comes time, he won't, he won't be chopping anything. He says he's not he's not going to hurt him. And I I believe. Him. 
Homer. The next segment is Easy Bake Coven. I like it, but it's just a collection of witch jokes. Sort of like how Bart Simpson's Dracula is just a bunch of Dracula jokes mm. or vampire jokes. Or Dial Z for Zombie yeah. is just a bunch of zombies. It's like jokes. just a pastiche of different kinds of jokes about one subject. It's fine. I like the twist that I did not see coming upon my first viewing of this. Oh, me too. Yeah, I yeah. did like that. I Well, I mean, it starts sort of as a crucible pair. Yeah. But it, it, it really forgets that after about a minute. Like, uh, The Crucible is always popular, but I think there had just been a re, a recent remake of The of the Crucible back yeah, then. I believe 96. Yeah, yeah, with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis in it, I believe. I know Winona Ryder was in it. Mm. Yeah. But uh, there was a terrible remake of The Crucible. Sorry, there was a terrible remake of The Scarlet Letter around the same time with Demi oh, Moore. Yes. Famously yeah. awful. Don't watch it. Just <laughs> listen to podcasts about it. You'll love it. Isn't there a character in this that is wearing a Scarlet Letter? Yep, that's Edna, Edna Krabappel. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. And the uh, A stands for awesome. <laughs> adultery, adultery. Uh, yeah, I remember that Scarlet Letter remake that it got a lot of flack because they like added nude scenes to it or whatever for Demi Moore, I believe, and that they're like, we got to sex up this Nathaniel Hawthorne here. It can't just all be about like perdicitude. <laughs> <laughs> to open on a witch burning is a great just start to it. And I really do love all the character designs to be made to colonial era. Like they all work, especially I love the constable kind of outfits for Wiggum and the other and his uh, Eddie and Lou. There's a good uh, Marge hair cover bit too, with just the the giant white thing on her hair. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. yeah. I, d- I do love that that she still can have giant hair back then. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we get to the opening here of a of a witch burning. You are all hereby found guilty of the crime of witchcraft. I sentence you hags to be burned at the stake until you are deemed fit to re-enter society. <laughs> Fire it up, boys. See you in hell, Seymour. Goodbye, Mother. (laughs) How horrible. If they're really witches, why don't they use their powers to escape? That sounds like witch talk to me, Lisa. Never mind. (laughs) Well, that's 75 witches we've processed. That ought to show God whose side we're on, eh, Pastor? Yes, Nedwin, but we have many more strumpets to incinerate. The one of the funniest things to me is that in this case, witch burnings are not a metaphor in this. It's like, no, the witches are real. There are witches here. Yeah, it's weird when I'm not saying The Simpsons is doing this because it's a comedy, of course, but it's weird when they do historical things about witch burnings in a fictional way where it's like, no, witches are real. So you're saying, oh, so all the women that were tortured historically were tortured for a reason then? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I know they're not saying this, but it's no, a weird no. it's a weird baggage because this really happened. It was just a way of controlling women. Uh, it, you know, that kind of reminds me of how there's so many really cool action and horror films but part of it is that like therapy in them has to be treated as like or psychiatry has to be treated as evil or yeah. phony because like sarah connor tells people no the world's gonna end i met a giant robot it was like cuckoo cuckoo but she's correct so uh, if someone tells you that on a bus you, you follow them you believe them. yeah <laughs> Yeah, and then we're always rooting for like she puts the thing of bleach into the guy's neck. It's like, yeah, fucking kill him. <laughs> we're finally gonna teach this guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that guy is Earl Bowen, the voice of uh, Ghost Pirate LeChuck. Oh my god, that's series. right. He's uh, just thought you should know that, by the way. <laughs> uh, but so they we leave uh, the burning. I like to how uh, satisfied Skinner is with killing his mother. Yeah, goodbye, mother. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of constantly trying to sell out Lisa in this uh, segment as being a witch. Like Homer, Homer does it twice, Bart does it once. This Homer wants to kill Lisa, and uh, and Bart only just learned from 
Homer to blame Lisa as well. And I mean, this is the date. Lisa would have been burned by a witch by the time she was 16 anyway, because she she questions society too much. So that's uh, that's witch burning material right there. And in case if you were wondering, the title of Goody, as in Goody Flanders and my favorite Goody Bad Wife, <laughs> uh, Goody was a title given to usually elderly women of humble station, according to the dictionary. Oh, yes. Okay, I did not know that. Yeah, as we find out as they try to name some more people, Homer is very excited to name somebody, but is astu- is too stupid to name anybody but the most chaste of all the women in town. Uh, like, nobody's biting at Goody Flanders. Uh, but yes, then, but then uh, Marge accidentally makes herself the enemy. I accuse Goody Badwife. Uh, we killed her on Sunday. Well, there must be someone here we can accuse. Lisa Simpson. Bart, quit it. She put a spell on me. Must drop pantaloons. Let's come to our senses, everyone. This witch hunt is turning into a circus. (laughs) She's the witch. Yeah, she's the witch. I was just about to accuse her. This is crazy. I'm not a witch. Then how come your laundry is always much whiter than mine? Oh, I've heard enough. Burner! People, let us not turn into an angry mob. Goody Simpson is entitled to due process. (laughs) Okay, here's how the process works. You sit on the broom and we shove you off the cliff. What? Well, hear me out. If you're innocent, you will fall to an honorable Christian death. If, however, you are the bride of Satan, you will surely fly your broom to safety. At that point, you will report back here for torture and beheading. Tough but fair. Stop! Doesn't the Bible say, judge not lest ye be judged? The Bible says a lot of things. Shiver! <laughs> I love that the Bible says a lot of things. <laughs> I like how, it's... like, Mo is so chomping at the bit to burn someone. He's like, oh, I've heard enough. Let's do it. Yeah. He's just uh, bloodthirsty. I'm pretty sure that's that's regular Mo, too. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. usually the front of a Springfield mob. When they're talking about who to accuse in the courtroom or whatever, there's a great, like, just drawing of Wiggum looking extra huge and super self-satisfied. <laughs> like, his hand is on his stomach and he's just leaning back. He's, like, back. Yeah. It he's like, It's like he just ate a full meal or something <laughs> and i also this uh this was the time i really caught the like mel is there and that sideshow mel still has a bone in his hair Through even his in colonial pilgrim time. hat or whatever that is <laughs> that uh, his he buckles his hat over the bone in his head hair <laughs> and yes the this witch hunt is turned into a circus another amazing line this episode is full of great lines like that the scarlet letter on edna it honestly makes me wonder how edna hasn't been like burned at the stake yet already <laughs> if they already label her an adult her. They may like why why not just call her a witch? Save yourself some time. Though maybe that's why she accuses other women of being witches to protect uh, herself. Shift the blame. <laughs> and uh, this time was when I caught uh, I think an extra gag that he says like without due process. Well, the process, and then it's just it's Wiggum explaining the process. Yeah. That is the due process. Smash cut to about. her being executed. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, I think many people's reaction when they're told the Bible contradicts something is like, eh, the Bible says a lot of things. I wish more people would just say that and be honest with themselves. <laughs> like, uh, I don't have an answer for this. I don't care. <laughs> I like Skinner convincing himself that this is a fair proposal about shoving her off the cliff. It's like, yeah, it's tough, but it's fair. <laughs> I, you know, when you're that deep into it, you may you got to convince yourself that stuff. <laughs> and uh, I do feel pretty bad. There's a there's a slight moment of like, boy, I feel real bad for these children watching their mother murdered. Like, yeah. that's pretty dark for just a second. And yeah, you don't know 
when you don't know the twist that's coming, though, probably some commercials ruined it ahead of time. But if you don't know that twist is coming, like you're like, oh, they did they just kill Marge in this? Like this is a Halloween episode. They could do that. Yeah, characters can die and usually do. But Ma- uh, Marge is safe and <laughs> scary. <laughs> okay, now let's not jump to conclusions, everyone. <laughs> well, I'll be a son of a witch. Hmm. That's right. I'm a witch, and I'm the one who withered your livestock, soured your sheep's milk, and made your shirts itchy. Hey, you destroyed my turnip crop. No, that was gophers. Impossible. We, we burned all the gophers. Not all of them. Ow, 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 ow. <laughs> and this is for pushing me off the cliff. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, people, nothing to see here. The show's over, right? Move along. As for the rest of you... They're in my hair! They're in my hair! It's really just a great excuse to have Marge say things she would never say. Mm. Like, we're here to eat your kids. <laughs> Julia's also, a like, lot of fun. Having uh, bats explode out of her hair like she's some cool Castlevania boss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a really cool scene, too. It's really well animated. Just her hair exploding into a, like, tunnel of bats. Like, there's there's so many great animation moments here. Uh, you know, Kirkland and his team did a really great job. Marge's witch redesign is so great, too. Just he has the green skin of the Wizard of Oz witch, too. There's so much work done in this episode. Everybody needs a new design. Every character they show needs a new design. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, after, Marge has like two. And that's after in the first part of the episode, you have all these mutant redesigns as well for mm-hmm. so many of the characters. Plus, designing skeleton versions of your favorite uh, Springfield regulars as well. And then all the characters in Halloween costumes at the end of the segment. So oh my gosh, You're asking yeah. them to do a lot of work. <laughs> uh, but they, hey, they pulled it off brilliantly, though I can see why Kirkland, after probably the, the work of this episode, is like, I'm going to stick to regular episodes after this. Uh, but the, yeah, the, so Marge flies away and visits her sisters which you don't have to change too much of patty and selma to make them look no, like that a warts <laughs> add some green skin and uh there's there's a joke in here that they're actually pretty negative on on the commentary the uh if you knew you were coming i'd have baked you a cat they seem to think it was like eh, we could have done better than that but do you know the reference henry if i knew you were coming out of baked a cake yes is that an old song yes i just I, know it from commercial i have a clip of it in oh, the slack channel boy. so it was i believe a 1951 or 50 song from eileen barton called if i knew you're coming i'd have baked a cake that was back when a woman baking a cake for you was the most erotic thing she could do <laughs> and this song was number one it will tell you just how self-medicated we were after world war ii if Get to it. I knew you were coming out of bake the cake. Bake the cake. Bake the cake. If I knew you were coming out of bake the cake. Hut you do, hut you do, hut you do. Had you drop me a letter. Okay. <laughs> I can listen to that with my best gal. It's funny because I knew this song from a like a girl's toy, like the micro bake. Oh, yeah, like thing, yeah. I, In my micro-bake, in my micro-bake. And it's right. funny because the title of this episode is Easy Bake Coven, based ah. on the Easy Bake Oven, another thing where you bake the thing with light bulbs. It didn't taste very good. Okay, that's even funnier, yeah. the baked a cat thing. I... Boy, I'd never, I've never heard that original. I've only heard it in commercials or references and other yep, stuff. Yeah, that was the first time I heard it. Just looking it up for this episode. So I like the hot you do, hot you do, hot you do. That's a, that's a, a cute nonsense word. It's very playful. <laughs> uh, let's hear what Marge's sisters are like in uh, witch form. This needs more eye of newt. You always want more eye of newt. Mm-hmm. If it were up to you, the brew would be nothing but newt eyes. 
Well, look who's here. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cat. <laughs> what a day. They found out I was a witch, so I had to leave my family. Really? So you finally left Durwood. His name is Homer. Oh, Nettie, look at them up there plotting our doom. They could force us to commit wanton acts of carnality. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the day. Huh. What's that, Ned? Uh, we shouldn't fear <laughs> the witches, Maud. We're both 35. We've already gone way past our life expectancy. But think of the children. I've heard that witches come to your house and take your children away to eat them. Mm. Eat their children? Jeez, we were just going to swipe their shoes. Uh -huh. But a good idea is a good idea. I like that oh. Goody Flanders gives her the idea to eat the children. Yes, yeah. And also they so, give her uh, Helen Lovejoy's catchphrase. Sorry, Dan. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say the uh, the Flanders are only 35 for this episode, right? Yes. That is actually, okay. it. canonically, Ned is 60, kind of, but I'd say he's more in his late 30s or yeah, early 40s. I mean, that's coming next season. Well, again, this is this is not Ned and Maude. This is Ned Wynn and Goody Flanders. Yeah. Okay, because I was about to feel very old because I'm turning 35 this year and I always pictured Flanders as like a like 50s or you know if he's 60 canonically it's like oh god don't tell me i'm as old as flanders now i think as of season eight or so marge and homer were both aged up to 38 but yes, back in season yeah. one in the episode the um not the crepes of wrath life on the fast lane we see marge turning 34 that's right yes yeah. oh wow <laughs> so for first season marge we are older we're all older than them yeah. now as the writers got wow. older they aged up the characters because they, they were feeling too old <laughs> <laughs> they tried to create some distance there but yeah the well i also like that this nedwin really wishes he was getting yeah. some acts of carnality with mod the flanders got less <laughs> horny over time <laughs> uh yeah this this flanders oh well, i mean that'll be the day <laughs> i think the amount of sex that current day ned has is would be quite enough for a chaste nedwin but back then it's uh it's not enough i think and that uh well they have the same number of kids too yeah they just fly off to to greet them. Also, the joke about Durwood versus Homer, like, even as witches, they still hate Homer. I like that a lot. <laughs> Durwood's a great name. Dur yeah, I for for a second I thought his name was Durwood in this one, and then she corrects her. So they head into town. They're going to uh, to kidnap the Flanders kids, and uh, they just they just after laughing off of a crucifix, like, eh, come on. They then they didn't grab the kids, and the Flanders just give up. They're just like, well, and they just slowly put them into bags. <laughs> and, but uh, then they have a they have a clever idea. Don't blame yourself, Daddy. You did everything you could. Maud, do something. Oh, um, well, excuse me. Are you sure you ladies wouldn't prefer some gingerbread children instead? <laughs> They're boneless. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you hags are all right. <laughs> what did you get? Candied apple. I got a caramel con. <laughs> mm. You know, scaring people into giving us treats is fun. We should do this every year. I just wish we hadn't filled up on all those kids before we got to the Flanders. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. I love that. You think it's wholesome and nice and they learned a lesson, but no, they ate a ton of kids before they went to the Flanders. 
I don't know if the caramel cod or the idea of bone-in gingerbread cookies is gross for me. <laughs> uh, boy, I don't know. I uh, well, yeah. So you are you a bone-in or boneless on the on wings, Dan? Uh, that I don't know if you remember when the game industry went nuts about that on video game Twitter. But yes. that started with me and Tim Turry, who uh, we used to work at Game Informer together. He was very much bone-in, and I was very much boneless. And I started a like Google form. I don't know if they still have those. And that just launched this whole fucking thing where we were getting like wrestlers to weigh in and everything and the whole gaming industry that all started with me and Tim wow. yelling. And I was on team boneless. And I guess it weirdly coincided with KFC uh, launching a boneless chicken campaign. And they caught wind of it because it became the number one trending topic worldwide. Dear so Lord. they sent the Game Informer office like tons and tons of free chicken and it just blew up another thing that uh, i would not have expected but that's a long answer to <laughs> i am team boneless i think i asked that question because in the back of my mind i was like wait yeah wasn't there a thing with dan and bones but uh yeah yeah that led to uh the kfc the, the, the official kfc account had the colonel endorse air force gator 2 a book i wrote like six Whoa. years ago and so it's like a back cover quote from the colonel do you know which <laughs> colonel it was at that time <laughs> Uh, I think this might have been between Don Johnson and Norm Macdonald. I'm so, not sure. Not Randy Quaid. <laughs> no, not Randy Quaid. <laughs> oh man, that's and that's like one of like five accidental uh, brand interactions you've had on Twitter. Oh, it's it's a lot. It's, yeah. I, I think I, I peaked with getting married at the Taco yeah. Bell. I think that was when it was like, all right, I don't think there's any moving past. That's this a good once. one to go out on, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm retired. Yeah. Uh, the uh, I I'm team boneless. I mean, I. Hmm. I I, it's uh, it's laziness for me. I'm just like uh, I, I just want that chicken meat. Uh, that's I, all I, I both great. Yeah. When I did eat meat, I like the I like the bones in them. Mm, but I don't okay. know if they had boneless wings back when I still ate meat. Mm. Are boneless wings a new thing? A new uh, enhancement <laughs> in food technology? Buffalo Wild Wings has has had them as long as back in junior high. So I'd say late '90s. So when this episode aired, I think uh, boneless wings existed. You know, as the as the anti boneless crowd will say, they're just chicken tenders with with sauce on them. Like yeah, that's, that's what boneless. I like was. the challenge of getting all the meat off the bones. <laughs> I just feel gr- after a while. I I had bone in wings with you, Bob, recently uh, with with Allie and Julia. And by the third wing, I'm just embarrassed of like I feel like I look like a savage just tearing have a plate apart of bones this. in front of you. <laughs> yeah, I, it just makes me feel embarrassed. I, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Trick or treating is invented. We get a caramel cod, and then we get the hilarious ending to this episode too. Yar, and that's the story of the very first caramel cod. I mean Halloween, <laughs> and it wasn't long before this yearly custom became an annual tradition. <laughs> Come on, give us some candy. Don't pretend you're not home. Dad, that's our house. She's a witch! Get her! But it's another of my all-time favorite Simpsons lines of the this yearly custom became an annual tradition. And they point out on the commentary, Mark Kirkland is the director, and they had to design a bunch of uh, Halloween costumes that would be appropriate for this period. That's right. So I think they all mostly work. 
what a fucking challenge that is. Yeah. Like almost needlessly so. But this uh, takes place in 1649, so these all have to be period accurate costumes. You can't be <laughs> Superman or Spider Man or Alf or whatever the hell else. <laughs> what is a Superman of then, if not like I don't know Christ or Moses or somebody else in the Bible? I would think it's only that. You sound like a youth pastor pitching the Bible to comic book readers. Now, the real (laughs) Superman is Jesus. (laughs) Kids. He died and came back, too. (laughs) I turn around my baseball cap and the the chair I'm sitting in. Kids. (laughs) Uh, So, this episode, it's uh, we're into the Scully era. It's been a lot of whiplash for us on the podcast because we went from an Oakley and Weinstein episode to an Al Jean episode to Scully. And now we're going to be in Scully, getting used to him and his style. And this is a good sort of inauguration into his world of the Simpsons and the different kind of Homer and the different kind of humor, less Harvardy. It's going to be a change, but I'm looking forward to the next four years of the Simpsons and the next, what, one and a half years of talking Simpsons. How that works? Uh, close to two yeah, years. Close to two I'd years. Say, yeah. yeah. I really love this episode too. I, it, you know, I had had years ago on this podcast, I had some trepidation about when we finally get to nine, but uh, this first episode of uh, the Scully era we've seen has really eased me into it well, because there's just a ton of clever lines, a lot of great jokes, and it is, it is definitely a broader comedy than mm-hmm. it was in the hyper metatextual world of Bill and Josh, but uh, I really, I really enjoy the broadness and kind of almost cruelty of it. Now, I I do think the uh, the meaner Homer jokes definitely work better in Treehouse episodes than they do in regular episodes, which I'm, I'm sure I'll get to when we uh, get to the regular episodes. Mm. But I do really, I just got a cat ear medicine joke. So many, <laughs> so many great lines. This is uh, little Bart, little Marge. <laughs> <laughs> this this gets a big thumbs up for me. One of my favorite treehouses we've done. Awesome. Any any final thoughts, Dan? Yeah, I, I was uh, really curious going into this because you know in in recent years, and I'll say maybe the last like you know seven or eight years. I've only caught just kind of the occasional Simpsons uh, episode. You know, I used to watch these all obsessively, you know, six, seven times, you know, back to back to back, uh, back in the day. Nowadays, it's more just like, oh, I just saw Cape Fear for the first time. So I'll go back and watch that episode. So I don't have a great sense of when it fell off. And I know everyone points to that Skinner episode as as the big drop off point. And I, when I found out I was doing this episode for the podcast, I was like, oh, that's past the Skinner one. I wonder how this is going to mm-hmm. be. And I, I was pleasantly surprised. Like, you know, I do think the first one is is the most solid of the three here um but throughout i think there's plenty of good jokes and everything that made it clear to me that it's not like it was just this like solid drop off after the skinner episode i think they still had a, a lot of good stuff for a few years afterwards good i think we proved to the world that that episode did not ruin the simpsons with our last live show <laughs> yeah i think so too uh so dan thanks so much for being on the show yeah. again we really appreciate of course. it uh do you want to do any- so much for having me guys oh yeah you were great do you want to do any plugs on the way out here uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Reichert, R-Y-C-K-E-R-T. And then other than that, it's just podcast. Uh, I mentioned uh, if you want to hear me talk about Dragon Ball Z, you can find All Systems Goku. If you want to hear me talk about Netflix and Hulu and streaming stuff, it's Panning the Stream. And if you want to hear me talk about video games, it is the Giant Beast Cast. Awesome. Thanks so much. And then, yeah, I would, again, say all the Game of the Year stuff you guys did was great. I uh, I don't want to reopen any fresh wounds, but <laughs> that Red Dead Redemption, like me and my husband were watching the, the Red Dead Redemption disappointing game section for so long we're like oh my god this th- that seemed like the uh, the 
rawest you guys got in the whole thing. Yeah, it's just, you know, I go into every one of those things with like, you know, you, you have to be kind of strategic with what you really stump for because you can't go at every opinion you have with that much fervor. And there have been years where it's I knew it was something I really liked that I wanted to get on the list. Like, listen, guys, Stardew Valley is incredible and I will not shut up until we make it on top 10. But this year, I knew the thing I was going to have to fight for was like, okay, I really didn't like Red Dead. And whether it's the most disappointing or, you know, knocking it down the top 10 list, it's like, I really needed to say my piece about why that game disappointed me so much. So, uh, yeah, that's where a lot of that stuff came out. But, mm. uh, hey, we're all still friends and everything. So yeah. I just and, didn't uh, like that game as much as everyone else. Game of the Year debates are the only debates still worth having, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Dan. Of course, anytime. So thanks again to Dan Reichert for everything. Again, check him out. All of his stuff is so great. All of his podcasts, Giant Bomb. We're big fans of them and him here. So yes, thanks again, Dan. But as for us, we are part of the Talking Simpsons Network. All the shows that you hear from us are part of the Talking Simpsons Network. And if you go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons and subscribe at the $5 level, you'll get every episode of this podcast one week ahead of time and ad free. And the same goes for our sister podcast, What a Cartoon. We also have on the Patreon dozens of bonus podcasts, including exclusive series like Talking Futurama and Talking Critic and the upcoming Talking of the Hill, where we'll go through the entire first season of King of the Hill with this podcast treatment. And it's only going to be on the Patreon at the $5 level. And there's interviews. There's so many bonus episodes that you haven't heard because we've been doing this on the Patreon for 18 months. So if you like our voices and you like our podcast, for five bucks a month, you'll get all of that right now and everything in the future if you stay subscribed at the $5 level at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons and Henry. We have a new newer $10 level with a new podcast for listeners, and they're very long and very good. Hell yeah, that is our premium tier at $10 plus a month. You can sign up and not only get access to all of the classic Talking Simpsons videos we did, like me and Bob, going through the entire shorts run of The Simpsons, but you can also get our new monthly What a Cartoon Movie podcast, where me and Bob go deep, deep, deep into a different animated film each month. We did Mask of the Fan the Batman classic. We did Kiki's Delivery Service, Hayao Miyazaki's tribute to art and earnestness. And most recently, three hours. We talk about Akira and I think we really did oh the boy. film justice. I mean, I don't mean to boast <laughs> and I don't like to boast, but that was the most I've ever worked on a single podcast. I think I spent three solid days between prep, recording, and editing just focused on that one podcast. And I think it turned out amazing. I think so too. You did You did an amazing job with all of the prep for that, Bob, and the edit. Please like, give me yes. a shout out on Twitter. <laughs> no, it was a group effort, but boy, I really love doing the movie podcast. And uh, boy, yes, at $10, at the $10 level, you can find that and the previous episodes that we've done and every future episode is going to be a blast. And patrons can vote on which movies that we do if they're on the $5 level or above. And again, that is patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Any amount that you can subscribe at is appreciated. As for me, I have been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. Find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. I have another podcast. It's a classic gaming podcast known as Retronauts. Maybe you've heard of it. It's been happening since 2006, for crying out loud. If you go to retronauts.com or look for Retronauts in your podcast machine, you'll find it please subscribe download an episode and see if you like it i think you will henry how about you hey i'm henry gilbert and you can follow me on twitter at h-e-n-e-r-e-y-g when you want to know about cool new things happening with this podcast or the talking simpsons network patreon or our sister podcast what a cartoon i tweet about them all and often as well as talking about how cool i think uh alexandria ocasio cortez currently is yes uh, so <laughs> as of this recording so be sure to check all that out at h-e-n 
N-E-R-E-Y-G. Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week for Mike Scully's official first episode, The Cartridge Family, and we'll see you then. in charge of the bees. Hey, buddy, down in front.